The Washington Post provides us with an update on two teenage parents and why they believe they're the poster children for expanded abortion access across the country. Troubling new details into the way AI can enhance child sexual abuse material. We'll talk about that. And former President Donald Trump has been indicted again by the Department of Justice. All of that today on the Palmetto Family Matters Show. We will get to President Trump's indictment later on. We'll have a little bit to say about it, but not very much. like not to dabble in such things as necessary. We have a lot to get to today on the front end. So if you could, go ahead. Make sure you subscribe and leave us a five-star rating and review if you're listening to this on the podcast feed, whether on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get those. If you're watching on Facebook or YouTube, make sure you like this video, share it with your friends and family, and then click the little bell to get notified every time Palmetto Family is live. Live or we have a new episode uploaded for you. I'm glad you're joining us today on Wednesday, August the 2nd. The time of this recording is 11.30 a.m. in the year of our Lord, 2023. The Washington Post, if you remember a year ago, we talked a bit about this story, about two teenagers in Corpus Christi, Texas, that had uh, found themselves pregnant because they had participated in, in, in sexual activity and conceived children, and they had those children. And they were, according to the Washington Post, they were forced to have these children because of draconian laws put into place by Texas. Brooke and Billy High are their names. They're now 19 years old. They no longer live in Texas. They now live in Florida. Interesting. Billy, of course, we ended the story about a year ago noting that Billy had enrolled uh, and was going to serve in the Air Force to provide for his family and that Brooke was going to raise the children. They are now married, and they are living in an apartment in Florida, raising the two children, and he is serving in the military, and she is looking for work now that the children are getting a little bit older. She's trying to raise the children and find some fulfillment outside the house with a job, all things that are good. But it's interesting how the Washington Post frames the piece. I only have a little bit here. not going to read too much of it because it's if you print out the piece, it's about 80 pages, so we're definitely not going to do that. This is where the the story itself you can empathize with, and I, and I think a lot of folks can, who, listen, you find yourself in this situation. It is difficult. It is hard. No bones about that. When Brooke met Billy at a skate park in Corpus Christi, Texas in May of 2021, she could not have predicted any piece of the life she was living now. She'd been gearing up for real estate school, enjoying long days at the beach with her new boyfriend. Then she found out she was three months pregnant, and because of a new law, the one in Texas, she could no longer get an abortion there. The closest clinic that could see her was in New Mexico, a 13-hour drive away. She gave birth to Kendall and Olivia, their twin girls, six months later. Brooke, Billy, and their girls appeared in a story in the Washington Post just days before Roe was overturned last summer, thrusting the family into a polarized national debate and turning them into the symbols they never imagined they'd become. For many readers, Brooke and Billy's story was a test, with each side of the abortion debate claiming the teenagers' experiences as validation of their own views. Senator Ted Cruz called the story powerfully pro-life. Abortion rights advocates decried the Texas law that compelled an ambitious young woman to abandon her education and raise two kids on the $9.75 an hour her then-boyfriend made working at a burrito restaurant. 
people on both sides of the issue did create a GoFundMe, or sorry, donated to a GoFundMe that Brooke created, which raised $80,000, providing a financial cushion that the couple says has kept them out of debt. At the center of the abortion debate is the question of how an unwanted pregnancy carried to term reverberates through the lives of those directly involved. Stop right there. Whether or not the pregnancy is wanted or unwanted, it is a living child. We, we seem to, in the large, larger end of society, forget that, but it is a child. The most prominent study on the subject, conducted by a pro-abortion rights research group, shocking, at the University of California at San Francisco, shocking, included interviews with nearly 1,000 women over the course of eight years. The study, which was published as a book in 2020, found that the women who are denied abortions experience worse financial, health, and family outcomes than those who are able to end their pregnancies. I'm sorry, um, women who are denied abortions experience worse financial, health, and family outcomes. Tell me, is there a worse health outcome than death? Is there? Because if if the if the my body my choice argument, which we've discussed in grave detailed he, detail here on the show, the fastest growing and strongest conservative talk show in the state of South Carolina, um, if it is your body, then why don't more women die when they have abortions? Brooke's future, though, is still uncertain. After her daughters were born, she and Billy got married and moved into a two-bedroom apartment a thousand miles away from South Texas, that being Tampa. If they didn't have the babies, Brooke and Billy both concede that they probably wouldn't still be together. Their teen romance would have flamed and faded, remembered by a few Instagram posts and the pink-wheeled skateboard that Billy brought, bought Claire, or bought Brooke, m- mind you, and they say that they are now permanently linked because of their children. Really? Wow. So you are permanently linked because of the children you sired. Incredible. Incredible. Brave stuff. Brooke and Billy, Billy rarely think about the new laws that led them to this moment. Of course they rarely do because day-to-day life is not hinging on what's happening in the Supreme Court. Even on June 24th, the first anniversary of the Supreme Court ruling that overturned Roe, the abortion issue was just a passing thought. Of course it was, because your children are alive. You're raising your children. You're providing for a family. You're trying to care for your wife. You're trying to care for your husband. You're trying to be a family unit. If I see it on the news, Billy said, I'm like, yeah, that's why I have two kids today. I think that for a split second, then I move on. Me too, Brooke said. I don't really dwell on it. If you're not planning on having a kid, Billy said, abortion is much cheaper than raising people. So we're not hiding the ball now. We're not hiding the ball. This this interview says everything I need to know about the pro-abortion movement, the pro-death movement. Abortion is much cheaper than raising people if you're not planning on having a kid. See, the not planning on having a kid thing makes sense until you're pregnant. The new laws, he added, quote, create a not good situation to be in. You know what creates a not good situation to be in? Being a preborn child in a place that allows abortion. But then he thought about Kendall and Olivia and shook his head. 
In the almost two years since Brooke and Billy ran up against the Texas abortion law, a novel statute that circumvented Rome months before it was overturned, more than a half dozen other states have halted all or most abortions. That's true. The Texas law was at the forefront. It That law, which banned the procedure after about six weeks of pregnancy, has likely resulted... This is a direct quote. The Texas law, which was banned in at least nine... Or which, which banned the procedure after about six weeks of pregnancy, has likely resulted in at least... Listen to how they phrase it. 9,000 extra live births, according to a recent study. The Texas law has likely resulted in at least 9,000 extra live births. As opposed to what? Making Brooke and Billy an early example of a family compelled into existence by an abortion ban. It's too early to know how many babies were born because of the fall of Roe. Oh my gosh, are we doing this right now? A family compelled into an existence by an abortion ban. No, the family was compelled into existence by the conception of a child. And in this case, for these two young people, twin girls named Olivia and Kendall, who have just as much right to be alive as they do. Back in August 2021, Brooke called an abortion clinic as soon as she found out she was pregnant, but it had no open slots, overwhelmed with patients racing to end their pregnancies before the law took effect less than 48 hours later. Racing to end... See, here's the problem. Racing to end their pregnancies. Earlier, we call it 9,000 extra live births. Billy says that the new law, uh, if you're not planning on raising a kid, abortion is much cheaper than raising people. They don't care that it's a person. It's an unwanted person. It's a baby. Babies are too difficult. And babies don't allow you to swim with the dolphins or continue your days at a skate park. Instead, Brooke got an ultrasound at a local crisis pregnancy center, not knowing that it was an anti-abortion organization. See, that's just, that's just I'm sorry, that's just garbage editing, and that's what the AP style book tells you to call it now an anti-abortion organization. Not the fact that the pro-life pregnancy center probably gave this young, unwed teenager a free ultrasound and other free services, I would imagine, as many pregnancy centers in South Carolina do. No, but they're anti-abortion. There, the employees told her she, she was 12 weeks along. Far enough into her pregnancy, they said that the babies had, and then they put... Heartbeats in quotes. They put the heartbeats in quotes. Now at home in Tampa, Brooke stares at the wall, clutching a pillow to her chest. If I would have had the abortion, dot, 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 she stopped. Yeah, she stops because the two girls who she gave birth to were probably staring her in the face. And if she'd had the abortion, she would not have the children. And I'm sure that there are days where moms and dads have very hard times with their kids. The kids are a bit unruly. They're disrespectful. They're hard to manage. Life gets hard to manage. But at the end of the day, and I and I and I, that we are a we are a show that presents issues and topics from a biblical worldview. The Bible says that children are a blessing from the Lord. And happy is the man whose quiver is full 
Now, again, you if you look at it from that worldview, your mind might change. We need to be aware of how the, the narrative is now shifting in the abortion or life debate, depending on how you want to look at it. And that is that the majority of those on the pro-abortion side of the movement are now not seeding the ground. They are now not even trying to hide the fact that these are people. It used to be, well, it's not a person, it's just a fetus. Fetus is a Latin term meaning offspring, details and semantics. It's an amorphous collection of cells. I think that's a loose rendering of what Chief Justice Beatty wrote in the decision back in January here in South Carolina. We're not hiding the ball anymore. They're not hiding the ball anymore. No, it's a person, but if you don't want it, kill it. That sounds harsh, and I apologize if it comes across as too brash or too forward. That's where we are. No, it is a person. You just don't want it. End it. Where does that stop? If a mother is having a tough day with a two-year-old, I don't want this child anymore. Where does it stop? And I know what you're going to say. That's not a real argument. That's a slippery slope. We don't deal in slippery slopes. I will point you to the LGBTQIA plus minus ampersand division sign tilde group push. Where to start with, it was, why do you care if we have a civil union? Then it was, why do you care if we get married? Now it's, why do you care if I jiggle nude in front of your children? Do you see how quickly? How? Why do you care if I want to mutilate children and drastically change their entire lives and beings? You see how quickly that moved? I mean, we're talking civil unions. We're talking the 50s and the 60s. I know that seems like a really long time ago, but in the grand scheme of time and space, it wasn't. We're talking 60 years. The slippery slope will continue in the abortion argument, and it's scary to think where that goes. Uh, another story, this from Mia Cathal from Town Hall. AI, artificial intelligence, uh, is a central point of contention and debate across the country. The vice president, have no fear, she is now in charge of AI in the White House. It's great. It's wonderful, really. But artificial intelligence, while you have the chatbots and, and the Snapchat stuff and and you can render yourself in different apps of what you'd look like as an 18th century sailor or a Roman centurion, whatever it might be. And while those things can be cool, AI is presenting a very difficult challenge for law enforcement, and specifically law enforcement when it comes to the idea of protecting children and fighting human trafficking. A popular artificial intelligence-powered photograph enhancer is allegedly producing AI-generated child pornography with the faces of its users, according to one woman who wanted to see what her future baby would look like as part of a fate of a TikTok trend. Digital creator Asia Marie Williams is claiming that the viral Remini application, like Leah Remini, but I'm sure no relation, turned pictures she uploaded of herself into a half-naked image of a toddler-to-age child. The little girl's private parts were censored with an emoji when sharing the AI creation. So it was there, and then when she shared it, it was covered. Um, others have alleged in the comments that um, they have run into the same issue. Days later, another woman on Facebook claimed that Remini similarly generated a toddler wearing a crotchless bodysuit. This is a, a subscription-modeled service. It's a training process fully accessible to the tune of $9.99 a week. 
Uh, takes relatively little time with user consent being the legal basis that Remini relies on to adapt its algorithm. So you just you know click that check box that no one reads the thing before. In a matter of minutes, after selecting anywhere from 4 to 12 selfies to teach the AI what you look like, users can effortlessly train the generative AI technology to output hyper-realistic, breathtaking portraits. But because the AI results are based on components of user-inputted content, Remini advises users to choose carefully from the camera roll. Uh, in one TikTok video, a man alleged that upon uploading an array of pictures, Remini, so a, an array of pictures of himself... It produced a preschooler in a jock strap. Now, AI does a great job of deleting facial blemishes for picture-perfect social media posts. You can de-age your subjects. You can do all these things. It, it's one of the baby AI filter. Finding out what your baby would look like is one way to do this. You can also see what you would look like in a wedding dress. You can see what you'll look like as an older person. You can see what you would look like if you're pregnant. You can see all these things. Rated E for everyone with a 4-plus age rating, Remini in mid-July dethroned Meta's competitor to Twitter threads. Remember threads? <laughs> Securing the top spot is the most popular free-to-download iPhone app. But the general-purpose editing is not what made Remini famous. The Baby Generator app is triggering baby fever among today's social media-addicted generation. So it, 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 its main focus is to show you what your baby would look like. So you upload a picture of you and your wife or you and your husband and you put it in the app and it'll formulate based on AI what your child would look like. Artificial intelligence's evolution has erupted what analysts call a predatory arms race on dark web pedophile forums where predators can create troves of lifelike images depicting child sexual exploitation within seconds. On one pedophile forum with 3,000 members, that's a problem, about 80% of respondents to an internet poll indicated they'd used or intended to use AI tools to manufacture CSAM, which, are, which is the shortened uh, abbreviation for child sexual abuse images, Active Fences Head of Child Safety and Ex Human Exploitation, Avi Jagger, told the Washington Post. On June 3rd, the Federal Bureau of Investigation issued an alert announcing that the agency has observed an alarming trend of cyber predators transforming media, often of children, into sexually themed images that appear true to life in likeness to a victim, then circulate them on social media, public forums, or pornographic websites. Per the FBI's, uh, FBI, pardon me, public service announcement, the images have also ignited debate on whether child porn, AI child porn, violates federal laws banning illegal material when the victims don't exist. Still, child safety watchdogs argue that AI-created CSAM poses a real-world societal harm as fodder used to normalize the sexualization of children or to frame the exploitive practice as commonplace. So here's the issue we run into: these folks are using AI to create sexually exploitive images of children while the children might not even exist. So, in, in this example, uh, a, a husband and a wife upload pictures of themselves to this app because they want to see what their baby looks like. It produces an AI-generated image. Now, the child does not exist. The, the child visually does not exist. The, the, the couple might not even be pregnant. They just want to see what they look, the baby looks like. They take the AI-generated image of the baby what it would look like, or, and, you know, you make it a toddler, six, seven-year-old, whatever, I assume. Then they take that image and they upload it 
to these dark web areas or pornographic websites producing child pornography or, in as we're learning now, child sexual abuse material because pornography would require some level of consent and children can't consent. So, these are deep fakes. There's a bit of a gray area because the person doesn't exist. But, as the article on Town Hall here states, and, and, and a really... A, Great job by Mia Cathel here. That piece was published yesterday afternoon. Um, as she discusses in the piece, it's a gray area, but it certainly is being used to streamline and normalize this child sexual abuse material. And it is raising red flags. Um, we had a conversation with a, a high-ranking statewide official uh, just a couple of days ago, and this is on their radar. This is something that is on their radar, they're monitoring, they're trying to come up and, and determine how best to handle these situations. Because it not only is it AI-generated, it could be image of a child on social media taken and generated an AI into other environments, if I can be so vague. So we have to be very careful with what we're seeing here in this new rise of artificial intelligence and what it's going to pose and what it is posing to children and mainstreaming and normalizing placing children in sexual environments scary stuff scary stuff and we'll make sure to keep you updated on all that before we get to the indictment of president donald trump i want to remind you that we're currently gearing up for our Beyond the Walls show. It is a new show that is going to be solely based on faith and solely based on how Christians can share their faith beyond the walls of the church. What we're seeing is more and more difficulty for Christians to be able to share their faith beyond the walls of their church. And at the end of the day, it's beyond the walls of the church where the people are most needing to be reached. It's where many of the lost people are, are not in the church. So we're having conversations with pastors and ministry leaders from across the state, and for that matter, across the country, and how Christians can become better engaged to share their faith beyond the walls of the church. So be on the lookout for those episodes. They're coming a little bit later than we expected, but we're going to get those out to you in the fall on our new show, Beyond the Walls. Not only that, we have a new mini-series as a part of the Palmetto Family Matters show called Candidate Conversations. We have reached out to every major candidate for president of the United States to talk with them about why they're running for president and asking them questions that relate to your worldview if you're watching this show and what you can expect from them should they be elected president of the United States. We recently ha sat down with Senator Tim Scott in the midst of his campaign as he's running for president of the United States. Here's a quick peek at that interview. What are one or two reasons why you chose now as the time to run for president of the United States? Well, I believe, Justin, that America can do for anyone what she has done for me. Uh, my story of overcoming obstacles like a single-parent household like poverty, is something that I believe actually disrupts the lies of a progressive movement that wants us to focus on victimhood and grievance. And I believe that the Lord does not waste a single characteristic that he gives you. He bestowed upon me characteristics today, I think, that are incredibly helpful to disrupting the narrative that somehow this nation is a nation in decline and that the best years are behind us. I can say emphatically that the exact opposite is true with a change in leadership. 
You can catch more of that interview on our website, palmettofamily.org. Click on the media tab. It's available right there for you. If you go to our homepage at palmettofamily.org, at the very top, you will see each of our shows available for you. Just click on that Candidate Conversations uh, button, and you can listen to the full show with Senator Tim Scott. We're, again, looking to have every single candidate we possibly can have on with us. We've reached out to every single one, and we've had substantive conversations with most of them. So we're looking forward to bringing you more and more content as we close in on the 2024 election. Speaking of the 2024 election, that's right, in the District Court for the District of Columbia, United States of America versus Donald J. Trump. It's the moment that many have longed for, and it's here. Four counts in the latest indictment delivered yesterday. Count number one, conspiracy to defraud the United States. Count two, conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding. Count three, obstruction of an attempt to obstruct an official proceeding. And count four, conspiracy against rights. I'm not going to get too far into the weeds on this indictment. I don't believe it's our purview. I don't believe it's in our best interest to get into the weeds of this indictment. What I will tell you is I've read the indictment. It reads like a WAPO editorial piece. Doesn't read like a legal document. I'm sorry, it just doesn't. And... Um, while I believe I've made my thoughts fairly clear on my view of the former president and January 6th and everything that goes into the hat, I, I believe this is kind of crazy. The defendant, Donald J. Trump, was the 45th president of the United States and a candidate for re-election in 2020. The defendant lost the election. Despite having lost, the defendant was determined to remain in power. Is that so for more than two months following an election day on November 3rd, 2020, the defendant spread lies that there had been an outcome-determinative fraud in the election and that he had actually won. Wait, hold on, hold on. These claims were false, and the defendant knew they were false, but the defendant repeated widely and disseminated them anyway to make his knowingly false claims appear legitimate, create an intense national atmosphere of mistrust and anger, and erode public faith in the administration of the election. That's all I need to read because as Christians, we believe that there needs to be an adequate doling out of justice. We believe that righteousness should win the day. We believe righteousness should rule the day. And listen, I think that there were missteps late in the administration from the president that I I, I believe the situation was made worse. However, just based on this, just based on this, I can name literally 20 people who in 2016 claimed that Russia had interfered in the election and that Donald Trump was not a legitimate president. Like, a lot of them, including the person he beat. Hillary Clinton, for three years, and she's still doing it, claimed that he was not a legitimate president. That he was a Putin puppet. That Russia had interfered in the election. Congressman Adam Schiff did this for years. We had two impeachment hearings. We had an entire Russia hoax that never existed. The Steele dossier was made up. We had years of people denying elections. In 2000, when George W. Bush won, same thing. In 2004, when George Bush won again, same thing. In 2018, Stacey Abrams loses her run for governor. I know it's shocking to you, but she actually did lose. She questioned the results of the election. She said it was fraud. 
She said it wasn't fair. She said that Brian Kemp was not a legitimate winner of the election. She never conceded. There were riots in the street. After, on, on Inauguration Day for President Trump, in Washington, because people were upset that he won and claimed, and, and were following the claims that he was not a legitimate president. So he's not the only, and I'm not saying this isn't right, but, to, but he's not the only one to make knowingly false claims appear legitimate and create an intense national atmosphere of mistrust and anger and erode public faith in the administration of the election. What's good for the goose is good for the gander. And we are now living in a country where we have a two-tier justice system. What this does, by the way, for conservatives, we're talking about our candidate conversations, this, this puts other candidates for president on the Republican side of the aisle in a very tough box. Number one, I think you can address the issue as it is. Um, I, I think you can come out and full throat say that this is weaponization of the Department of Justice and, and the fact that they put this out the day after the Devin Archer hearing uh, dealing with Hunter Biden and Joe Biden's corruption I think has a lot to do. You can come out and say whatever you want. This makes it harder beyond 2024, y'all. We, we need to, as conservatives and as Christians, I think it's important that we look at what's to come, that we look beyond the immediate, that we look beyond the happening in the here and now. We need to look at what's happening beyond 2024 because 2024 is going to come and go, and either a Republican is going to win the presidency or John, or Joe, John, Joe Biden will win re-election. One of those two things will happen. What what I'm saying is we're setting up for 2028. Whether Donald if Donald Trump wins, he certainly will not be president again after 2024. He cannot run again. We'll get to 2028. And we saw this with Ron DeSantis. Oh, you thought Trump was bad. Oh, ha, DeSantis is worse. Weeping, gnashing, wailing. It, it, it'll happen. And this is going to make it harder for conservatives to win national elections moving forward. Because the, the standard will always be that the national mainstream media will seek to delegitimize conservative candidates by going back to this. They'll continue to do it using this as the baseline. What was your initial view of January 6th? What was your initial view of the 2020 election? Why do you not coincide with our view of both of those things? And why does that make you worse than Donald Trump or Satan? It creates a difficult playing field for conservatives going forward. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. And when you have a when you have a nation that has a two-tiered system of justice, I don't really know what it does for you. I don't think it helps you. It's all the time we have today on the show. Obviously, Mitch Prosser not in with us today, but he'll be back later this week. We appreciate you taking the time to watch and listen to the show. As always, you made July one of our best months ever for viewership and listenership. We couldn't be more appreciative. we got a lot coming for you in the fall, guys. We're working extremely hard here at Palmetto Family to make sure that we keep you informed from a Christian worldview as we are in... <laughs> since 2020 we've been in unprecedented times and we're continuing to be in those and so we want to make sure we help you and help each other learn how to navigate these truly difficult times make sure to subscribe to our email list again give us that five star rating and review if you're listening on the podcast section of course share this video on facebook or youtube share it with your friends and family text it to them let them know what we're doing here 
at the show. For Mitch Prosser, our entire staff here at Palmetto Family, thank you so much for watching the fastest growing and strongest conservative talk show in the state of South Carolina. I'm Justin Hall. We will see you guys on Friday.